On our youth winter retreat to the mountains last weekend, my van of girls listened to Taylor Swift on repeat. And, and we shared snacks, and as we did these things, our conversation naturally turned to what people had given up for Lent or not given up for Lent. And so my girls helped us bring all of us to our question this morning, which is, what is the point of doing that? What is the point of fasting, of giving something up for Lent anyway? You may have a specific image that comes to mind when you hear the word fasting. Maybe it's sort of an extreme image, maybe not. But in truth, fasting can mean lots of different things, including a full traditional fast, meaning that one abstains from food and drink for a certain period of time. But the spiritual practice doesn't need to be one of skipping meals or even about food at all. You can fast from anything. For centuries, people of many religions have fasted for spiritual reasons. It's one of the most ancient, tried and true practices of the Judeo-Christian tradition. And when it's done right, fasting points us inward and provokes us to examine what our deepest desires really are. So I hope we can turn inward together here for the next 10 minutes or so. For a long time, philosophers have talked about a God-shaped hole that is in each and every one of us. The first century bishop, St. Augustine, his image was of a restless heart which can only find its rest in God. The 20th century philosopher, Simone Weil, wrote that there's a great void inside each one of us. In her words, all sins are attempts to fill voids. Because the God-shaped hole inside of us is a nagging and hungry void, we try stuffing it full of all sorts of things, but annoyingly it refuses to stay filled. That hole rejects anything that is not God. So the other things we try to fill it with become, for lack of a better term, spiritual clutter. The more stuff we try to cram into the hole, the less our chance of real satisfaction. But if we can get past the clutter, then something might begin to happen. That nagging voice of our craving might just grow quieter. We can see what we truly cannot survive without, and it might not be what we thought it was before. Here's a rhetorical question, one that we use as an icebreaker in the youth wing sometimes. What are the three things that you can't survive without? And you just, in your head, just blurt them out. So mine would be like coffee, bagels, and I don't know, something else. But, so the point isn't that coffee and bagels and whatever that other thing is, chocolate cake, you know, it's not like those things are inherently bad. But when we use those things and whatever they are for you, to fill that hole, to fill that God-shaped void inside ourselves, then that's when we get into spiritual trouble. Which brings us back to fasting. So in our country, in today's world, purposefully denying ourselves something for a spiritual reason, for a spiritual reason, not for self-improvement, that might seem sort of extreme and unnecessary. This is a day and age where if you're sitting on the couch, you can push a couple buttons on your phone and basically get whatever you want, if you can afford it, delivered to you in a day or less. The story in Mark's gospel this morning 
appears at first glance to be quite simple. Jesus predicts his imminent death in Jerusalem at the hands of the authorities and says that anyone who wants to really follow him needs to be prepared for the same fate or a similar fate. Almost before one has time to process the heaviness of Jesus' statement, Mark's breathless prose moves on to an abrupt exchange between Jesus and Peter. Peter takes Jesus aside and strongly objects to his leader's predictions about his coming death. I want to side with Peter here. Peter is being reasonable. All he's saying is that he doesn't want his friend to suffer and to die. From Peter's perspective, if Jesus dies, the whole plan of him being the Messiah is ruined. If he and his buddies could just steer Jesus away from the cross, then Jesus could die a peaceful death on his bed after a long life with many more feeding and healing miracles to come. But Jesus doesn't take the bait, not even for a second. He responds with a sharp rebuke to Peter saying, get behind me, Satan. We see that from God's perspective, Jesus's unique death on the cross is the body, it's his body broken for the whole world. So it turns out that being reasonable is Peter's sin. Peter wanted just part of God. Peter's trying to preserve the good of the order to avoid the fanaticism, the extremism of the cross. I think Peter's sin is our sin too. We want to be reasonable. We want a little bit of God. Maybe we even want most of God, but we do think that we can take care of the rest of it ourselves. We want to satisfy those deepest desires with the things that are right in front of us. Not to mention, if you start walking around talking about the cross or talking about Jesus, people might think you're a fanatic or something. And we here in the Research Triangle, one of the top science hubs in the world, really need to avoid the appearance of being a fanatic or a radical. But if we really follow Jesus, what might he ask us to do? If we really get to know the contours of that hole inside of us, what might happen? The thing is, Jesus knew that Peter and his friends needed him to go to the cross. Jesus knows that you and I need him to go to the cross. In Mark, almost all of Jesus's ministry and movement is oriented towards Jerusalem, his journey, his movement towards Jerusalem, where he's gonna sacrifice himself for the whole world and for us, for you and me. And for us during these 40 days of Lent, we're all invited to take a deep look at that and a deep look inside of ourselves, asking ourselves, what is it that we really need? How is that different from what we want? And what are we using to satisfy those deepest longings? Feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving, the prayer book says. I submit that this is, this is the only way to be satisfied. Now, this is an extreme and radical thing to believe in an age where we can mostly get what we want when we want it. 
The taste of the bread and the wine at this table satisfies that God-shaped hole. Because we're made to be with Jesus, to be close to Jesus, to taste God's mercy through him. And let's remember that Peter's mistake is our mistake too. We choose the parts of God that we like. But God wants us to have all of him. If we're doing Lent right, we are not going to do it perfectly. Growing close to Jesus and following him is not about perfection. Thank God. But that God-shaped hole in us, that God-shaped hole in us doesn't need us to succeed at Lent. It just wants to be noticed and to be satisfied. So this week, as we go from here, my challenge to all of us is, notice what it is that you think you can't survive without. And come back next week. And do the same thing again. And in the meantime, come to the table. Come forward. Come be filled and be satisfied. So let's fast. And let's be unreasonable.